Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. A wonderful story to share today. God's blessings for over 40 years of helping people hear read the Word of God in their own language through Lutheran Bible translators and the, the wonderful gift of missionaries he sent to, uh, particularly to Liberia for, uh, for two generations now serving with Lutheran Bible translators. Excited to share our guest with you today. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO. You can find out more about them on our website, kfuo.org. Look for the CUW logo in the sponsor section. Joining me in studio today, it's a privilege to introduce uh, our guest today, Alvina Federwitz with Lutheran Bible Translators, uh, and has served as a, a missionary with LBT for 45 years. Alvina, welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you so much. This uh, I've been excited about this ever since I learned that you were coming back to the United United States and that uh, you might be passing through the St. Louis area. And I think it's been months since we scheduled this interview. I think uh, we started working on this probably maybe six months ago. Yeah, I think least. it was October when you wrote me. And it was, uh, it's been over a year since uh, I had a chance to talk with some other Federwitz family members. Paul and Allie and the kids were here over a year ago uh, when they were back in the States for about a year and got to talk with them uh, about uh, serving the Lord in, uh, in Africa. They were serving in Ghana and you served in mostly in Liberia for your time there. Yes, uh, I, I did also work in Ghana because there was a civil war in Liberia. My husband died in 2002, and when I went back, uh, I started out in Ghana, and I worked in literacy there with the church, uh, but got back to Liberia as quickly as I could, because that's really home for me. Share with us a, a little bit about the, the work of Lutheran Bible Translators. What is it that, that LBT does, especially out in the field where you were? Okay. Lutheran Bible Translators is the only Lutheran organization that does Bible translation, um, and we are an arm of the church, uh, and right now, uh, well, actually, we for many years, uh, usually the Lutheran Church is there. It's been started by missionaries with Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and then they need to have God's Word translated in the language of the people of the churches, and it's Lutheran Bible Translators that does that. Um, we went into it because my husband was very gifted in Greek and Hebrew, and we try to do as much of the translation from the original language to the local language as possible. So let's talk about how, uh, well, a little bit about the history, your history and your, your husband's history, um, and what led up to considering being missionaries with Lutheran Bible Translators. Tell us about where you grew up, your, your, your growing up as a kid, and, and, uh, and what led up to uh, the, uh, the, well, the forming of the Federwitz family. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Um, I, I was born and raised in north of Wall, South Dakota, on a farm and a ranch. Um, my grandparents are the ones who homesteaded that uh, many years, uh, well, not that many years before I was born, about 40 years uh, before I was born. Uh, they settled there, and I always knew that their faith was very important to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and But the thing that I remember, and I was only four years old when I went to a mission festival. Now, Whenever, we, I mean, Rapid City was a three-hour drive from our home, and that was the city we would go and do shopping, you know. We went there twice a year, but whenever we went, we had to be home at 5 o'clock to ma milk the cows, which frustrated me because, you know, you only got there uh, occasionally, and generally for me just once a year because that was before school started. But for Mission Festival, it seemed that our cows could, 
last as long as possible. And, you know, I never really thought about it until I got older. But as a child, I thought, that means that this is very important. And I remember that there was a missionary from India that spoke when I was a little girl. And I say four because my aunt said I was four years old when I said I wanted to be a missionary. But I remember hearing him and thinking, I'd like to do what he did. Uh, And then I went on and uh, trained to be a deaconist. I wanted to be a missionary deaconist. Uh, But then I met uh, the man that I was going to marry at Concordia, Milwaukee, and uh, he wanted to be a pastor since he was four years old. So I thought, well, I could be a missionary as a pastor's wife. But then God uh, fine-toned what we were going to do. And, and it, was, it was on our way out to South Dakota where he was going to ask for my hand in marriage. And just before that, I had heard Lutheran Bible translator Maury Watkins talked about, uh, had been to Walther Memorial Lutheran Church, and I had visited there, and he talked about Bible translation and people getting God's Word in their own language. And I knew I couldn't be a Bible translator, but I thought I could be a literacy person. And that really stirred my heart. I really wanted to do that. In fact, I really questioned whether I could get married. I thought that this is really what God wanted me to do. And I know this sounds really funny, but halfway out there, we had traveled about 500 miles, and we stopped at Blue Earth uh, to put uh, fuel in our car. And I remember what it was. It was 24.9. It was the cheapest place along what became I-90. Then it was 16. And as my husband got, or the my fiancé-to-be got into the car, I said, I have something I need to tell you. And I wanted to tell him about my experience with Lutheran Bible translators. And as I began talking about it, he said, stop. And I said, it took me all this while to tell you. Why can't I finish? He said, no, I just want you to know something else. And then he told me that there were um, there was a missionary couple who served with Lutheran Bible translators who needed to learn Greek, and they were finding it exceedingly difficult. So since he liked Greek, his professor suggested that he give them some on, you know personal training. And when he realized how much they struggled to learn Greek, he felt that maybe God was saying, I want you to use your gift as a Bible translator. And so he talked with them and he felt like he was called to be a Bible translator. And so when I talked about, you know, my experience, mm-hmm. he said, well, how about if we just go with Lutheran Bible translators? And we headed back out, and we, he asked for my hand in marriage, and then he said, and we're going to be going with Lutheran Bible translators to work as missionaries. Wow. So you, you knew you had, uh, you both had gifts that, that could be used uh, and uh, pursued this perhaps opportunity with Lutheran Bible translators. Where did you go from there? He, he went through uh, education as well, further mm-hmm. other education? Well, I graduated. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when he was a sophomore at the seminary, I, I taught at a school there uh, during that year. He did vicarage. And then when he graduated, uh, he couldn't take a call because he was going to go with Lutheran Bible translators. There were many options that he could have taken, but he didn't. He just wanted to go directly with Lutheran Bible translators, and so that's what we did. Uh, so he graduated from Springfield, Illinois, in '73. We went that summer. We didn't have much money at all. We had very little money. In fact, it was uh, Professor Otto Hensey that made it. Got some money from some church that made it possible for get for us to get our linguistic training. In the summer, um, and we went on vicarage. He finished seminary, 
and then we finished our linguistic training and uh, God blessed us that we're able to get our support uh, by Christmas of 73 and we couldn't go to the field directly because they were having a special program they were uh, teaching linguistics in the university there and it was not a good time for new missionaries to come so we got there Valentine's Day of 74 and God has has been directing us ever since. Growing up here in the States, growing up uh, on a homestead in, in North Dakota. South Dakota. South Dakota. Mm-hmm. South Dakota. And then uh, now moving to Liberia. Liberia, West Africa. How long was, do you remember how long that flight was? The first uh, trip? It, actually, it was one of the shorter flights because Pam, Pan Am was still flying. So we could fly directly from New York to Monrovia. So... Uh, I'm guessing it was probably 23, 24 hours, and we were there. Wow. What was, do you remember what that first day, that first week was like? <laughs> I remember landing there. It was 20 below zero when we left New York, and we stepped into the tropics. I remember having a nylon hose on and a polyester dress, and when that door opened on the plane, I mean, it was just like walking into a sauna bath. Um, and everything was new and different. Um, the airport was still in the process of being built. Uh, but it was, I mean, as I've traveled many times now and things were done less professionally than they are now. And it was a strange feeling, (laughs) but I've always felt that that's where God wanted me. I, you know, everything was new. The food was different. The way that people relate it was different. But God put a love in my heart for the Liberians, and it's still there. And what did you learn about the Liberians and the, the culture, the, the community where you lived? Their, their hospitality is unbelievable. I mean, I did not realize how poor they were because when you came to visit them, they would get you a bottle of soft drink because they knew that our water did not, their water did not agree with us. And they would give us, the rice was their staple, so they would have rice and a sauce over it. Um, and they were, they were very gracious and very kind, and uh, it was just, their hospitality still amazes me because now I know how poor they are. And I know that many of them don't eat that kind of food, maybe occasionally, you know, once a week, and they only have soft drink on a very special occasion, like maybe a wedding. What did, uh, so at this point, it was just you and Dale. The family hadn't started growing yet. No, we did. Oh, you we did We went have... over with the two-year-old and oh, okay. the one-year-old. All right. Who was the two-year-old? The two-year-old was Jonathan. Okay. Who is now a missionary pilot. Wow. And our one-year-old was Rebecca, who works in scripture engagement in Papua New Guinea. Well, I have a little surprise for you. I didn't get to choose whether I wanted to be a missionary kid or not since my parents went to Liberia when I was only 16 months old, but I cannot think of a better childhood than the one I had. There are some hard things about being an MK for sure, but I'm so thankful for the opportunity I had to grow up in Liberia. My worldview was broadened and my understanding of different cultures was so much greater at a young age. It also had a huge impact on my faith. I got to experience firsthand God's power over the spiritual forces of evil that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. I got to see him provide for all of our family's needs through the support of churches and individuals. I got to experience his faithfulness and provision for us in all our different moves. 
and I got to see how other cultures view and worship God, giving me a greater depth of understanding about who He is. When I dreamed as a kid of what I wanted to be when I grew up, it always had something to do with being a missionary. I consider it an honor and privilege to be serving the Lord in missions as an adult and for my own kids to experience the life of a missionary kid. That surprises me. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't know you had recorded that, but I do know that that's exactly how she felt. Yeah. So that's your daughter. That's my daughter. Your second oldest, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's Becca. Becca. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she and her husband are serving in a mission as well. Exactly. In fact, um, tomorrow they will be leaving for Pasadena, California, where Danny will be graduating with his PhD. He just finished his thesis about a month ago, passed his defense, and uh, he will be a scripture engagement specialist. And his dream is to go back to Papua New Guinea and train national pastors how to use scripture, just give them different ideas so that the scriptures that are translated will be used in the way that the people understand it best. Explain for us, what does this mean, scripture engagement? Can you give us an example? A scripture engagement is done. Uh, I did it. I'm a multilingual education specialist, which means that I develop learning materials with in 15 different languages in Liberia with the nationals so that People, children can learn to read and write in the language they speak, and then we bridge them to English. Uh, and so, these children, after when they've learned how to read and write their own language, by the end of first grade, they can read the whole Bible and understand it completely. They read it to their families, they read it to their parents, because their languages are quite easy to learn. They don't have all the exceptions that English does. Uh, another way is oral, and we are working in languages that assimilate information orally much better than they do by reading it. And so mm-hmm. there and so Danny has done a lot of research and he will continue to do research of finding out how do people from different cultures understand information that comes to them. And of course we want God's word to come to them because we know that faith comes by hearing God's word. And so that's that's what scripture engagement is all about. It's not just one thing. It's it's a constant research of finding out how do we how can we best present scripture in a way that people will understand it culturally. So it's one thing to translate scripture. It's another to present it and and actually uh, in a way that that it will be read. It will be heard. Exactly. Yes, and. You know that you don't know how it's going to be done culturally. You have to de- develop relationship with uh, people of of the culture where the language is in, mm-hmm. and that's why Danny is is going. He would like to train national pastors because they best know how their people will understand something, but to give them different ideas because uh, many of them think because they've had missionaries there. Well, they have people have to read the Bible, and they call the Bible the Holy Bible rather than just the Bible, because that's what missionaries seem to imply, that if you read this book, it's it's going to make you holy, not realizing that it's really God's Word that develops our faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, we missionaries make a lot of mistakes, uh, and I wish we could cover those all up, <laughs> but we need to learn from them. And I feel that my children are going to do a much better job than my late husband and I did, because they they had a head start. You know, they they saw this. They saw us make mistakes. They heard us talk about it, and they were a, they were with children. They learned the language 
much better than we did. And they, they gained insights that we never got. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing them now apply some of these things they've learned. Let's hear from another Federowitz child. <laughs> At an early age of, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, uh, I would often spend, you know, my weekends all day Saturday uh, out in the jungle with my friends, uh, sometimes spending overnights uh, with them. And, uh, you know, so that was just a great time uh, learning how to live and work uh, the way the Liberian kids did. Mom and dad um, just were really great. They never um, coddled us. They allowed us to go and explore. And um, I think that really impacted me in the work that I do now with uh, Lutheran Bible Translators. Um, I'm a regional director. And actually, right now, I'm talking to you from Cameroon. Normally, I live in Ghana, where my wife and kids are. Uh, but uh, as a regional director, I travel uh, to various countries in West Africa, um, just meeting with our missionaries and our partners, uh, and just talking about uh, and discussing and helping uh, our partners uh, minister um translate the word of God into the languages of, you know, people all over West Africa. You know, I, I just, I can't think of anything better than to have my kids uh, growing up overseas and seeing, seeing and experiencing everything, many of the same things that I saw and experienced as a kid. It, it just opens up uh, one's mind to just all the different cultures, all the different languages that God created. Uh, it's, it's a really beautiful thing, and I'm glad that my kids can experience that. Um, as a parent, I, I, you know, I still wonder how my parents allowed me to be so independent at different times, because I, I struggle with that with my own kids, allowing you know, just them to be independent. Um, but yet at the same time, I know what it did for me. And so I, it encourages me to do the same thing for my kids. And, um, you know, I, I think one, one of the things I've seen as a parent uh, in my children is the, the deep faith that they have. And I think that certainly is a, just a great benefit of their life and experience on the mission field. David talks about the the independence that you allowed for that you encouraged uh what was it like raising four children is that right four exactly. children in uh, in liberia as missionaries um i didn't know we didn't have any idea <laughs> they'd become missionaries and to be frankly honest i was just praying that david would get beyond uh eighth grade because he just wanted to live in the village forever he didn't want to go to school <laughs> And I, we had to constantly remind him that he really was an American, even though he thought like a Liberian. He wanted to be a Liberian. Mm-hmm. Um, he need. I, we told him that he would even have to have a 12th grade education just to be a ditch digger. So he really needed to move ahead. Uh, and he has education. I mean, school mm-hmm. has never been easy for him, but he has worked really hard at it because he had this focus of coming back and working in Africa. And I have to admit that as a child, we he was not our child. We were the parents of David because everyone <laughs> loved David. Uh, the, he just had 
a relational gift that made Liberians and Ghanaians, wherever he goes, he connects with Africans. They love him. Uh, and he he didn't realize how well he spoke the language. They They always told us, you know, you have to speak like your son. He's the... You know, he speaks it clearly. We understand him. But I think it was more just who he was and what God was preparing from him for now. Uh, right now, you know, he's a, he really works in scripture engagement. and But he's able to connect with Africans to find out how can we get this scripture in a way that they will use it. We don't want that book laying on the shelves. In fact, I remember that as my husband was dying of cancer in 2002... Um, I was thinking of what am I going to do now? And he said, oh, you're going to go back to Africa. He said, remember all those Bibles that you said need to be used? We need to get beyond translation. He said, I believe that's where God wants you. And so I went with back to Africa, back to Liberia, and I realized we had these Bibles that needed to be used. And so God has also gifted me to connect with Africans. And what I'm doing is God's direction through Africans. And I mentored them how to develop curriculum, but I had to learn how to do that first. And scripture is being used. Absolutely. And there, there and there's power in that word, in oh. God's word. There, there's Well, there's the, the saving power of Jesus as he works. Uh, he is the word, and uh, as he works in that word. And to be in, um, to be in the position that you were in, to see someone hear or read the Word of God, perhaps for the first time. I did. And that happened uh, when we worked with the Kuwa people, which was the second group of people that we worked among. I'll never forget, there was a lady, I, you know, I don't know how old she was. I'm, I'm guessing she was 70 or 80 years old. And um, I had worked with her in literacy. It was difficult for her to learn to read because uh, that was something that no one did there. I mean, it was a very isolated location. And I, you know, I remember her reading God's word and she was so proud. And then she talked about how God loved her, but she did it. She used parables from her language to illustrate how God loved her. And it would have been a way that I would have never talked about love but I knew that she had become a believer because she was able to read God's word. And I always felt if that's the only place or only person that came to faith as a result of our work, that was worth it all. Hmm. The, you use the example of the, the word love here. Is there, you know, I, I understand that here in, in, in the United States and how we use the word love, uh, how does that uh, translate in some of the languages that, that you were working with and their understanding of love? I, I know in some languages there are multiple, multiple terms for, for love. I think that's a question that my late husband could have answered better because <laughs> he was definitely a, a Greek exegete and he worked with translators talking about love. As I see it uh, played out, I would say love is a close relationship with somebody, someone that you would tell the dear, I mean, the most precious thing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this lady went on to tell other women that she knew what she had read in scripture. And I think that was her way of expressing the love that she received through believing God's word, through coming to faith. 
We're talking with Alvina Federwitz, a missionary with Lutheran Bible Translators for over 40, well, 45 years and uh, now back in the United States sharing her story and, uh, well, helping out with the, with the next generation of the, the Federwitz kids, the grandkids this time around. And we're going to share more of her story right after the break. You're listening to Worldwide KFUO. Concordia University, Mequon, Wisconsin, overlooks the beautiful shoreline of Lake Michigan. This serene main campus of CUW is just 15 miles north of Milwaukee with all its vibrant cultural attractions. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, students living by the motto of inspiration in action can choose from 69 undergraduate majors, 14 master degree programs, and doctorates in pharmacy, physical therapy, and nursing practice. For more information or to take a virtual tour, visit cuw.edu. You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. We're talking with Alvina Federwitz, missionary with Lutheran Bible Translators for 45 years. Uh, we could talk for hours. <laughs> we should have just made a maybe a, a four-week series out of this. I'm sure 45 years, you have stories uh, galore to share of uh, all the, the uh, well, the blessings and seeing God's hand at work in the the, the uh, well, the the translation as well as building relationships with the people in Liberia. Tell us, we were starting to talk a little bit about family life. What about as a, as a Christian being nurtured? Uh, in, in the faith as as missionaries, uh, opportunities to worship, to uh, to fellowship. What was that like? Uh, what was life like for your missionary family? Well, we didn't have a chance to go to church and worship because we lived in the village. There were no other Lutherans there uh, when we began. Uh, and so we often listened to radio programs, you know, a sermon on the radio. But uh, we did have a personal worship. Our children learned the catechism. Uh, we were kind of like Martin Luther, you know, <laughs> sitting down, mm-hmm. uh, training our children in in the catechism. Uh, we did different things. I remember we had just, we arrived uh, in the village. We moved in the village in March of 74. It was an entirely Muslim village. And it was at Thanksgiving came, and, and there it's dry season. The harmaton, which is the dust from the Sahara, comes in. It's really a dirty time of the year. And I thought, Christmas is coming, and this doesn't look like Christmas at all. How are we going to, how are we going to make Christmas feel like Christmas here? I was pregnant with David, who was then born in January. Um, and But we had two little kids that were now two and three, and... How are we going to make Christmas? Uh, our living room was only six feet wide. Uh, it was 10 feet long. There was not room for a Christmas tree. And where would we get a Christmas tree anyhow? <laughs> and so God gave, I was innovative and I went out. We had a little bit of a store where you could buy cloth. And I found, I couldn't find green, of course. Uh, and I had found some gingham check, gingham check material in my box. And I went out to see what I could find at the 
store where they sold cloth to make trousers for men, and I found this kind of turquoise blue, and I thought, well, that'll work for a tree. Came up with like an advent calendar, but it was a tree, and each, as as advent began, 1st of December, I made little ornaments, uh, and I would come up with ideas, and I would say, okay, honey, how, you know, how can we use this? I've got a circle, and we talked about, you know, Christ's love is eternal, and we talked about the different aspects of why Jesus came. Hmm. And that became our Advent calendar and kind of wrote down some notes. And it wasn't until my grandchildren were going, my first grandchildren were going to be born. And I came back to the States to be with Jonathan and Carrie for the birth of the twins. And I had found this really neat Advent calendar that I cross stitched and I gave it to Jonathan. He said, Oh, mom, please make one like you had. That was really meaningful. <laughs> and so, so we went out, literally bought a sewing machine, and I recreated this, made it much nicer because I could buy the materials in, in the States, and developed an Advent calendar. And then went, when I went back to Africa, I told my husband, now we really have to write this up, you know, we had, because, you know, our grandchildren have been using this, and ended up making one for each of our children. And last Christmas, my older grandchildren who are coming home for college this year said, Grandma, can you make us each an Advent calendar? Because that's what makes Christmas for us. And it tells you that you can, your family can worship. It doesn't have to be in a church. We very much appreciate coming back and worshiping with Christians in our own language. Um, but that family uh, unity, I see it with, um, with my grandchildren now. They can go to churches in the local language but they still have their own worship service at home. And that's why this Advent calendar is so important. This year, or no, two years ago, I developed a Lent calendar, uh, which is also, it begins with Ash Wednesday. And we talk about, and I try to recollect all the sermons that my husband had done over the years or all the things he wanted our children to learn so that our grandchildren would know who their grandfather was. And I implemented that into what we call our Lent calendar. How nice. It's it's neat how family traditions like that gather you together around God's Word and, and uh, keep you strong in that mm-hmm. Word. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hear, from, uh, let's hear from Jonathan this time. Hello, I'm Jonathan Federwitz, the son of Dale and Elvina Federwitz. I currently serve as a missionary pilot in Papua New Guinea. As a child, I spent 16 years growing up in Liberia, West Africa. Those growing up years are the reason that I'm a missionary today. My dad and mom never put any pressure on me to follow in their footsteps as a missionary. They just wanted God's will for my life and would have been happy with whatever that was. For as long as I can remember, I have felt God calling me to be a missionary pilot. It all started when I had my first ride in a mission airplane in West Africa when I was four years old. My mother was being airlifted for medical care, and I just loved the airplane ride, and that planted the seed for what I'm doing today. One of the things that I really appreciate about my dad and mom is that they always put family before ministry. As kids, they involved us in many major decisions about our schooling and other things that affected our life. They wanted us to feel loved and cared for. I remember Dad saying that he would feel like a failure if he won lost souls for Christ, but not his own children. My mother is carrying this on with her grandchildren. Recently, she left overseas field service so that she can be available as a home away from home 
for two of my children who are returning to the U.S. to start college this fall. It means a lot to me and my children that my mother, who spent over 40 years on the mission field, would set that aside to be there for her grandchildren. Raising kids <laughs> in the, the mission field, Jonathan. Well, I think all of them have mentioned that that uh, you and, and your husband never pressured them to, to become missionaries. But the example that you set, uh, I think, and the, the love that you showed them as, as a family and the love that you showed the people you served uh, as missionaries uh, was really... Uh, very formative for them in, in, in their decisions to serve in missions in some way, uh, whether it's uh, as, a, as a missionary pilot or in, in uh, information technology or, or, or whatever they may be doing, um, that uh, the, the way that uh, just the, the way that you lived your, your Christian life as parents and that, that carrying out that vocation in a very loving way was really what uh, shaped them and, and uh, gave them the desire to serve as missionaries. The, uh, Jonathan mentioned that, that they, had, uh, they were involved in choices about their education. What was it like educating your children uh, where you were living at the time? As I look back... Uh, what was the most rewarding thing of being on the field? It was teaching my own children. Uh, because we were every every part of their life. They weren't influenced by other children. They weren't in, you know, we were their influence. We were their mentors. And I could give them their academic training. And to me, that was such a privilege. We didn't have, I didn't feel like we had to deal with the world. And we were able to prepare them for their future. Um and we, oft, we talked about that often. Another thing that we did, uh, it, was, it would have been very easy for me to teach, you know, we, we did the Concordia uh, materials as their religion. Um, and we, it would have been easy for me to teach them their catechism. But I always felt that that was something that should come from the Father. That's, that was just how I saw it. And my husband felt the same way. And so he took time from his translation work to spend an hour every day teaching catechism to them, you know, the understanding it. We did memory work as part of our devotions, but mm-hmm. uh, so that they got a good understanding. And now when I go into their homes, I'm seeing that the fathers are the ones that are leading the family in worship and in devotions and in learning the catechism. And I, I think that parents don't realize what kind of model they are for their children. I even see that here in the States, that parents that uh, take time to be with their kids are the children that really uh, seem to really prosper when they leave the home. So it's not only on the mission field, mm-hmm. but I think here parents can get so involved in keeping up with the Joneses, making sure that your children are involved in this and that. But I think what really influences the children is the parents' attitude toward God and what's important in their lives. What was, how did life change in Liberia over time? I know that there was a lot of unrest during the the years that you were there. It changed drastically. When we got there, we didn't, we didn't even think about locking our doors. When we, when we left, you know, when we would go to Monrovia or we'd go visit someone else, we put a little tiny padlock. 
it's even smaller than the kinds you put on your suitcase now, you know. <laughs> it was just tiny. It was just to say we're gone, you know, don't come in because people came into our house all the time. You know, they just went bok bok and walk in. And so that was a way of saying we're not there. Now, the best lock in the world can't keep thieves out. And that came as a result of the Civil War when all authority, everything broke down. That has been a serious problem in Liberia. And, uh, but I believe that God allowed us to bring God's word there in the 70s so that in the 90s, when the war came, people had something in their own language that gave them the spiritual strength and ability to move ahead. Um, I mean, when we were there, my husband and I were there during the war, people would not go to market. They would, they would find a church. Um, our son Paul was confirmed at St. Peter's Lutheran Church. It was not in the church. It was out in a tent. There were 200 in his class. He was confirmed with 200 people that had come to faith because of the war. Hmm. So I... God's hand is in everything. As I look back, I see that God has paved the way for our futures and for the people that he has chosen to call to himself. Well, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Paul. Let's hear from Paul now. This is your youngest, right? Exactly. Let's hear from Paul. I think it says a lot that all of us kids are involved in Bible translation. For me, There's really two reasons for that. First, my parents involved us in their work, and so we all got to see firsthand how important it was for people to have access to God's Word in their own language. We also saw that impact. But second, I absolutely loved that experience growing up in a village. Whether it was going outside to play with friends uh, during a school break or um, even being able to go to the farms on the weekend, that was just a really awesome experience that I also want my kids to have. It gave me a different perspective on the world um, than I think that many people have. You know, when I went to college, I realized that those four years was the longest consecutive time I had ever lived in one place. But I wouldn't give that up for anything. All these different experiences, seeing things in different parts of the world, has really deepened my faith. Because I know that no matter who you are, where you are, or what the situation is, God is also there, and He is in control. It's very clear that uh, all of your children had a a very healthy upbringing and and one that was deeply rooted in in faith and the, the Word of God. How was... The, you're serving as missionaries to, to bring the Word of God to people that have never heard it. How central was the Word of God to, uh, to your life at home and to the work that you were doing? The, how central was the, the gospel of Christ crucified uh, for our sins to, uh, to your work as missionaries, to your vocation as parents, raising kids uh, in, as you move around from time to time? How what role did this this gospel of Christ play in all of that? One thing that my husband began, uh, as Paul experienced it more than our other children, in that because of the war, we were constantly on the move. And uh, my husband and I stayed in Liberia most of that time. 
Uh, Paul was in boarding school. Most of our other kids were in college. David was still the last years of boarding school. But whenever we could connect as a family, my husband would say, well, you know, in Deuteronomy, uh, we were, you know, they were reminded that they should talk about the things that God had brought them through when they were in exile, you know, the exodus. And so he said, okay, let's just share what God has brought us through during the time we've been absent from one another. And generally, uh, maybe it was the fact that uh, my husband and I had been in a time when there was uh, rebels that came in and we happened to be at what we thought was a wrong place uh, and how we saw how God just protected us. Uh, the children would talk about, you know, we didn't know. Uh, we didn't know how you were doing. We, we didn't, you know, the co- our college, the chil- nobody understood. Nobody could understand what it was like to live in Africa, much less be in a civil war. And yet God gave us a peace about it. Uh, Jonathan shared one, I mean, he was, when we had one of these attacks on in Monrovia, we all hit the floor, and my husband was a ham radio operator. Jonathan had become a ham radio operator because that was our only way to communicate. My husband called him and told Jonathan to let our office know that we were still all right. We had not been killed, that there was gunfire all around us. Um, and, you know, Jonathan was kept up to date because we were able to do, you know, he had the ham radio. These were all things that we shared when we got together. And I remember one time, Dale's father, um, our children's grandfather, was there. And he listened to this all, and he said, I'm really glad I didn't know this was going on. (laughs) But he said, it makes me wish that I had told my parents how important they were and what what effect or what an influence they were on my life. Because he said, I'm hearing that here. And I never told my mother and father. Um, and it, he always was the epitome of faith, my, Dale's father. But when he said that, I felt that we were doing something that was unique. It was just part of our family. We just automatically talked about how God brought us through the hard times. So I think it was just part of our lives, and it still is. Hmm. Um, something that our daughter-in-law's, and our son-in-law say is they the uniqueness in our family is that we can be separated for years and we get together it's like we've left the dining room table and just moved into the living room and the conversation just kept going because we just pick up where we left off um and that's that's the uniqueness and where we left off is always where God has had us and how he's used us and the privilege of being a child of God what do you think, uh, mentioning your, your daughters-in-law and son-in-law, making that, uh, that transition, had any of them come from missionary families as well? None of them came from missionary families. Um, and our daughter-in-laws, you know Allie, mm-hmm. um, for, I don't know how many years it was, but she would always say, I'm not going to say I'm going to be here for another year. I'm going to try it for the next month. Um, and she did that for many years, and it was just recently when she said, Africa has become my home like it was Paul's home. So God God works with us. We have to be faithful. We have to be willing to be led by God. Mm-hmm. But God eventually creates in us what he wants us to be. What 
is what was it like uh, the last few years going back to Africa after your husband died, going back to, to Liberia? I mean, you, you had mentioned earlier your husband was this, this expert in the languages, and especially in Greek translation. And um, you, had, you had gotten to know the people in the community and served in a variety of ways. Um, what, uh, tell us about that time returning after your husband's death. I knew that I should return because my husband said it. Uh, I, I think I mentioned earlier that uh, as he was dying, um, you know, we were talking about my future, and I thought I'd be working at the LBT home office, and he said, no, your heart is in Africa. You've talked about all these scriptures, and they're not being used. He said, I know you. You will find a way to use them. And I thought, I, ha- I don't have a clue. <laughs> and um, even though I got more training before I went back, when I got back, um, the worst part of the Civil War had happened during the time he was dying. 2002 was the worst siege of the war in Monrovia. 90% of Monrovia was destroyed. Um, and so it was, it was not anything that I remembered. The whole, the whole city was different. The people had hurt. I mean, they were suffering. And when I remember going back and I met with uh, the Liptralo, which is Liberian Translation Literacy Organization, the group that I was going to mentor. And I said, you know, I'm not Pa Seku. That was my husband's name. And one of the people there said, we know that. You are Ma Wata and you are our mother and you've always treated us like a mother and we know you will. And I, that just took the stress off. I knew that I didn't, ha- I didn't have to manage this group I was just going to be the mother, and I'm good at being a mother, <laughs> and that that and and that's how I worked with them. Um, I learned. I, I tried to use help them to see what their gifts were and how they could best use them to continue Bible translation, scripture engagement. And I'm happy to say that right now we have three translations going on that were chosen by Liberians. These are the languages, and they were chosen because the churches said. We want these lang- we want these Bibles in our language, and the churches are willing to have a place for the translators to work, and they provide it the translators. All LBT does is train them, and we have two translation consultants that go there twice a year to give them uh, to check the translation to see that they're scripturally accurate. And like I said, my son Paul has worked out a way that they can work on internet, so they give them, you know advice from here, but it's being done by them and by the church. And and the rest of Liptralo are continuing with a recording scripture for oral and continuing to develop learning materials so people can learn, you know, learn how to read their language so they can read scripture. Wow. What is, uh, Liberia has gone through so much with uh, the, the war, the rebels, um, and uh, what is the life like now in Liberia since you left, what, about a year ago? It's not quite a year. I like, left mm-hmm. in September. Okay. Um, and I do want to go back. <laughs> um, and I would say that Liptralo is struggling because financially uh, we're not, LBT is not able to give them the help that we used to. But I... It was interesting because they still have to finish building their headquarters, and that's that's a big concern of mine, and I shared that with the executive director. And basically, he wrote back and said, don't worry, we will find a way to finish that building. And 
that takes a lot of faith. When you think that an average uh, Liberian makes about a dollar a day and that needs to feed about an average of 15 to 20 people, the funds are not there to build a building. But he said, we will find a way. And their faith often is what, that is a real example to me. It's greater than my faith. Uh, and I mean, I don't know if you can measure it, but it's <laughs> it's amazing what they can do. And I, I, I just felt like he said that with all the commitment that you can possibly have. So what's it like? My heart will always be there. You can take uh, the girl out of the country. You can't take the country out of the girl. I think that describes me well. My heart is always there, and my prayers are for them. You have a new mission now, a new assignment. Uh, You have a couple of things to do here back in the United States now. One, uh, sharing your story and the story of Lutheran Bible translators with uh, our friends around the country, with uh, a lot of uh, LWML conventions going on this year. Uh, but also, you have a new assignment as well in the Federowitz family. Right. And one of the things for my husband and I is family was always first. Uh, and God gave us time for the second. My family is first. And my grandchildren are coming back this summer. I'm already looking to see. They're, I know that they're going to be going to college at Concordia, Wisconsin. That's over 900 miles from where I'm living. But I'm looking at ways to get there. And just this week, I think God is beginning to open up the door. I was invited to speak at a fall rally near Milwaukee, and I said I would come if they found more. I'm confident they will, and that will help me to get up to see the children like a month after their dad goes back. You know, I think it's going to be a low time for them from my experience. And I just want to be there for my grandchildren. That's the most important thing. But I've also really enjoyed attending LML conventions, and I've spoken at some zone rallies. I love that because LMLers uh, are they, they are the ones who hold us up in prayer. They're the ones who have supported programs. And I just want to say thank you, and I want to tell them firsthand experience of how important they are in the work that they do. It has been just a pleasure talking with you, sharing your story today. We'll uh, we'll share some some uh, we'll share the audio archive on our website, so listeners can share with their friends and uh, share on social media as well. Alvina, it's just been a, a joy to talk with you, Alvina Federwitz, missionary with Lutheran Bible Translators for forty five years. Thank you for being my guest today and sharing your story. Nikiko Balika, Balika Tau Tau. That is thank you very much in the first language I learned, which was Mendingo. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.